Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. This morning we are in for a treat. Um, We've got a guest preacher coming in this morning, a friend of mine by the name of Ron Sitlow. And Ron is the pastor at Faith Church in Hammond, Indiana. And a couple of a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, Ron and I had a chance to sit down. I went over and saw the church over there in Hammond, and we went to this little uh, greasy dive restaurant that had some of the best food in the world right down the street from the from the church there. And as Ron began to share his heart for the things that God was doing in the church and in the people in the church, something inside me was was just was yes, this this is of the Lord, and. After we had left, I, just, I felt the Lord has impressed upon my heart. Our church needs to hear that message about just God's, God's grace and God reaching people like that. And so I uh, sent Ron an email, said, hey, man, would you just come share that at our church? Would you be willing to come and preach? And he said, absolutely, whatever I can do to serve. And so um, let's just welcome Ron. He's going to come and share the word with us today. Hello, how are you? So I was trying to think of a story, you know, because we don't know each other, so something that, so you could get to know me. So I have four kids. I'm trying to catch up with the hamsters, so we just had our fourth. And uh, I have four boys, though, and uh, they're crazy. I have four crazy boys. Last summer, you know, my wife is very, she's always worried that I'm not paying attention. And so she said... Hey, you can take the boys. I wanted to take my two oldest camping. So you have to watch them. I said, oh, I'm going to watch them. They'll be fine. You know, they'll be fine. And so we go, and you know, me and the boys, it's a blast. And the first thing we have to do is we have to stop at Walmart because we need firewood. And uh, so I go, you know, boys, you know, we're grownups now, so we have to, you have to stay by me. So we're going to go, and you're going to follow me. So they're, Jack is five at this time, and Sawyer's three. They follow me, right? I mean, hey, what's the worst that could happen? So anyway, so I walk into Walmart. And I'm in there like a minute, and I'm like, okay, boys, let's go. And I'm going, and I'm getting the firewood, and I turn around, and they're gone. And I'm going, oh, this is fine. You know, I'm sure they're just like down the aisle, and it's like 30 seconds to one minute to five minutes to ten minutes. And then, so now I'm thinking, my wife is going to kill me. The one thing she says never to do, I have done the first time I have them alone. I have lost my children. And so... I don't know, you know, parents, like if you have that feeling of losing something, your kids, like that, it is like the worst feeling in the world. So I'm in Walmart, I'm like, Jack Sawyer, where are I'm screaming. And all of a sudden, this, you know, nice old lady has my two boys, 20 minutes later, and she brings them up. She said, you know, I might watch them. I'm like, you know what, that's a really good idea. So uh, that's, uh, that's me. I'm not a very good babysitter, so I wouldn't let you... I wouldn't watch your children. I wouldn't let you let me watch your children, but I have a great personality. So anyway, let's pray. Father, I thank you for my friends who you love. I thank you for this church who your spirit is alive and at work. I pray that this word that I believe you have given to this church, that you want to give to this church, Lord, you would, um, you would do it that because of the cross, by the power of the Spirit, and the intent of your will, that we would be a people, a gospel people, 
Lord, that you would do something here that would even change the course of this church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I give what I do think is a word from the Lord for you, uh, I just wanted to give you a little context. You know, this, I'm comfortable here. I grew up in the vineyard, which is a, a charismatic movement in California. That's where I found the Lord found me, where I found real life. And I'm really thankful for John. I'm thankful for Mercy Hill. You know, one thing that John really believes in is something that I care about is this idea that the kingdom of God, the church, isn't your church or my church. It isn't where we happen to put out our sign. It's not a competition. The competition, the fight, isn't with one another, but it's against principalities and powers, right? And so we partner where we can because we have the same master. And I'm thankful for John for that. I, uh, you know, my parents, I had good parents. Uh, they were, you know, Christians. We went to church, and we, they did the best they could. I grew up in a household, though, that was fairly dysfunctional, where my mom and dad... Doing the best they could, they had their own kind of inner demons, especially my father who struggled with drug use and adultery through um, his marriage until he died. And in kind of the midst of this, this framework of brokenness and yet trying to follow the Lord, I, uh, I had a bit of a rebellious streak and I just ran as far as I could from the church, from the gospel, from Jesus, from anything good. And uh, very early on, 16, 17, I found crystal meth, and uh, I became a drug addict, very, not just like an occasional drug addict, not just like I smoked pot every once in a while, I became a drug addict, and uh, alcoholic, multiple kind of sexual broken relationships, and everything good that God had kind of put in me, all the kind of, just the inherent good that a young man has, I spent and at the age of 21, you know, I was this kid who had spent everything. I had destroyed most of my relationships. I was untrustworthy. I was a thief. I had, uh, people didn't like me anymore. My friends didn't like me. And uh, the Lord encountered me. And uh, that encountering was this profound moment of God just showing up in my life and me having to make a choice. And it was so clear to me, 15 years ago, almost to, you know, to this month, where the Lord said, you will either choose life or death. There's no in-between for you. And thankfully, I said yes to him. But what was amazing to me wasn't my yes or even his invasion in my life, which is spectacular and glorious and full of God's grace, but was that I found, or God found for me, a little church just like this church. Kind of, you know... This church, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Rick Warren's church, or it wasn't Bill Heibel's church, it wasn't the biggest church in town. It was a little church, faithful to the gospel. And you know what? I was messed up, I was screwed up, I had so many problems. I should have been institutionalized, frankly. This little church loved me and said, you know what? You have a place here. One of the most profound things this little church did for me was that I could belong before I had things figured out. There weren't like, I didn't have to take a theological test. I didn't have to take a drug test. I didn't have to tell them whether or not Jesus was Lord. All I had to do was show up and they loved me. And that has put such a profound belief in the core of my being that the church ought to be the place where broken people can come. That as God has transformed me over these last 15 years and seen fit to call me to be a pastor, I have made it part of my calling 
out of God's good grace, that the church ought to be the place of scandalous grace. It ought to make people cringe. It's so full of grace. It ought to make you cringe because it's so full of grace. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you need grace, if you came here and you did something last night, last week, last month, in which you are ashamed, confused, broken. Or you got things figured out, you're doing gospel good, but you're not around sinners. Sinners aren't around you. And your life is just about you kind of doing your thing. You've mixed up the American dream for the gospel. And I think I have a word for both sets of people that God desires in Mercy Hill, this great little church in Munster, Indiana, to make you of church a scandalous grace. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7. This is a story of Jesus and His grace. Starting at verse 36. It should be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. One of the fairies, Pharisees, not fairies, there are no fairies in the Bible. It's a Reformed perspective, okay? One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word. Luke chapter 7, you have this exchange with Jesus, the Pharisee, a group of people, and what Luke calls a sinful woman. And in this text, in this place, in this space, 
we encounter the scandalous grace of Jesus. And the first thing we learn about it is that scandalous grace brings hope to sinners. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She had known about Jesus. She had heard about him. She had heard about what he was doing, the miracles he was doing, the life he was giving to people. And something in her was stirred. When she heard that Jesus was in a certain person's house, something was in her that wanted to be with him. She was known as the sinful woman. That was her title. Not a great title to have. But she had heard about the person of Jesus and that he was a friend of people like her. And something happened to her in the text. Because when she hears that Jesus is at a Pharisee's house, she wants to go and see and meet and be with Jesus. The fundamental reality of the gospel is that it's full of hope. Hope. Hope for people who are sinners. Think about it. There's this religious house, this Pharisee. This is a strict Pharisee, a devout person who takes holiness seriously. This woman is not invited in that house. She knows it. But something in her, something in her says, I want to be with that man. I want to be with him. Maybe you're like her this morning. When was the last time you felt the hope of the gospel? I don't mean that you became a Christian yesterday. I mean, maybe you've been following him for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 5 years. I don't know. When was the last time you have considered and thought about the grace of the gospel? That it could actually bring you hope. That it could actually change your life. That it isn't just about going to heaven when you die. But that Jesus actually could do something for you now. Transform your life, your relationships, your social life, your financial life, every aspect of your life, that Jesus could do something about it. We get in this thing one year, five years, ten years, and we start settling, and we start kind of, you know, we kind, we kind of start thinking, well, it's not going to happen this way, and we start thinking that the gospel isn't going to do much for us in this life, and the best that we can hope for is what will happen in the next. But this woman believed that there was something about being with Jesus. And even though she would enter into that house and be judged and ridiculed and talked about, She thought, I'm going to take, I believe, I'm going to risk. I am going to go and be with him. Because that's where my hope is. And here's the other thing. Is if the gospel you live, the gospel you witness to, proclaim in your neighborhood, in your family, in your relationships, if it isn't giving people hope, then it isn't the gospel. If all it is is your moralisms and your rigid lines down the middle, all it is is Phariseeism with Jesus on top. 
And it is not the gospel. The gospel is this tent, this wide open door that says there is hope for you. There is hope if you're gay. Hope if you're poor. Hope if you're a Republican. If you're a Democrat. There's hope for you. This isn't a club. We aren't the Masons. We're the people of Jesus Christ. And a hope filled people at that. And so Mercy Hill Church is the gospel you live giving hope to sinners. Because the gospel Jesus gave with his life was hope for the broken. Scandalous grace causes sinners to do outrageous things. Outrageous acts of worship. This is what the text says. It says, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. What she is doing is, frankly, it's really weird. It's weird now. It was weird then. And it's out of the social mainstream. And not only is it weird, but in Jewish society, it would be very improper for a rabbi to allow an unclean woman to touch him, to be in the same room with him. Rabbis didn't do that. That's not what rabbis did. They couldn't be around sin because sin was like, for rabbis, like a coal. They were afraid they would catch it. But she doesn't care. She's overwhelmed by Jesus. She sees him and her faith and her emotion and the grace she wants to experience. And this moment in time, she's overwhelmed and she doesn't care about quorum. She doesn't care what people think. She doesn't care what will happen. All she wants to do is worship this man that has brought her such hope. And so she does. In a very intimate way, she worships Jesus. Real grace causes people to do extravagant, crazy things. Causes people to move halfway across the world to proclaim the gospel. It causes people to give away their money. It causes people to worship. It causes people to dance and raise their hands, to share Him with friends. It causes them to worship. The reason I like charismatics, you, my friends, is that sometimes weird is proof that Jesus is moving. My reformed friends, whom I love, you know, they get, they get you know, a little stick in the mud when weird happens. Weird is actually a sign of the gospel. Because when you have weird people in weird places around sin and brokenness and hope breaks in, People begin to worship. And they don't know your liturgy. They don't know how you worship. They don't know that it's raise your hand or stomp your foot or speak in tongues. What they know is that they are overcome by the gospel. They're overcome by Jesus. And so they do outrageous things for Him. And it makes me consider, when was the last time I have done anything outrageous for Jesus? Or are we, am I, too grown up, too mature, too much theology and too many Sunday mornings and Sunday nights to act out? 
That is not a sign of maturity. That's a sign that, oh, maybe I've lost my way. The sign of scandalous grace is that you are willing to dare put everything on the line again and again and again. You bet, Lord, I'll do it. You bet, Lord, I'll do it. Not even a second thought. That is actually the point of the pearl of great price, that great parable. The man went, this pearl collector, and he saw a field, and he saw that there was this pearl of great price worth more than anything he had. And so he went and sold everything he had to have the pearl. The kingdom of God is like that. It seems outrageous unless you know what's in the field. Are we willing to allow sinners in the house so that they might experience amazing hope of the scandalous grace? But I can tell you, I can promise you that if you want to be that kind of church, and I know that you do, it gets messy because they don't know how to play nice. And they come Sinners come sinful, right? That's why they're sinners. Everyone's like, oh, I love sinners until they come in. And then you find out that they have issues. They're broken. They have histories. They don't like you. They don't bathe. They're, you know, th- you know they voted for Barack Obama. And, you know, they live in Hammond. You're like, what do we do? Sinners, when they encounter Jesus, do outrageous things. You know why I know? Because I'm a sinner. And if the house is for me, It has to be for them, or it's not for anyone. Scandalous grace makes religious folks mad. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who touched him, for she is a sinner. Now what you have to know about Pharisees, and I'm sure you know this, is that they're not bad people. Pharisees, you know, we think of them as like, well, they didn't get it. They're the ones who got it. Pharisees are devoted people. They're good Christian folk. This guy is holy. He believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is standing against culture and government for the sake of the kingdom. He takes his religion seriously. He is a devoted family man. He takes holiness seriously. But he misses out. He misses out. The kingdom of God is in his house. God incarnate is being worshipped by a sinful woman. And he gets the wrong story. He thinks it's scandal. When it's grace, he thinks it's bad theology when it's God himself in the house. You're not doing grace unless religious folk get mad. And if you're getting mad, you better get on your knees. The gospel of grace ticks people off. And it will tick you off. Think about it. Now, we're fine with our kinds of sin, right? I'm a drug addict, so I like drug addicts. I don't have any problems with drug addicts. I hang out with them. I don't have any problems. I have a friend. He's so fun. He's like an agnostic heroin user or something. But we hang out at the park, and he's great, and I love him, and I walk with him. See, we're comfortable with those 
who sin like us. But what about the different kind of sinners? What about the sins that make you cringe? Or the things that just make you so uncomfortable? And you're worried that to have your kids around, or you around, or... And all of a sudden we realize that we're not so unlike the Pharisees. That when it comes to certain things, well, just not in my house. And we realize that you and I, good gospel people who love the Lord, who love our family, who want to be holy, that we can miss out on what Jesus is doing. And we can say it's bad theology, or they just don't get it, or they need to clean up. When in reality, we're the ones with the hard hearts. We're missing out. Scandalous grace is actually really messy. It's hard work. It doesn't come easy or natural. It's not natural to us. If you are able to allow it to happen in your life naturally, then it's not grace. Grace is happening in a church life when it makes you uncomfortable. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I don't know if he should be setting up chairs or she should you know, be on the worship team or you know, if they should be passing out bulletins or that group of people. I don't know. What do they believe? Have we, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just my church. But it is messy. And you know, since you know, I, I grew up in you know, the kind of circles you, you, know, you guys are in, and so I have a word for you. Is that how you say it? Oh, yeah, I know. Can't say that where I'm from, you know. Get in trouble. That'd be calling you before the elders. But here... You don't have elders yet, so we'll go for it. (laughs) I have a word for you that God desires to pour on this church the kingdom of God, and He will give you the least, the lost, and the broken as a gift, as an inheritance. People who don't know Him, people who are far off, messed up, He'll give you as many as you want, but they are not a challenge. They are a gift. And if you do not treat them with the scandalous grace of Jesus, it will pass over you. Take it home and think about that. He desires to use Mercy Hill to actually be what your name means. That this isn't the end of the story, this is the beginning. That in and through you, this church, hundreds, if not a few thousand, could meet and know the glorious grace of Jesus. But what it means is that good folks like us, we have to put our lives on the line for grace. We have to be willing to be friends with those who don't have any, with people who are different than us, letting them into our house, letting them live with us, letting them belong before they believe. If you're willing to be that kind of community, then the gates open up. Scandalous grace. The more scandalous the grace, the more it makes the sinner a lover. Do you see this woman, Jesus said, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. This woman, she loves Jesus, right? She has encountered Jesus. And she loves Him for it. She loves Him because of 
the encounter. Now here is one of the most profound and basic gospel essentials that Jesus teaches. It's called the inversion of the kingdom. And if you came in here today, down and out, shame-filled, broken, and you wondered what is your place in the kingdom, this text shows you that it takes a sinful woman and says that you are now a great lover of God. What did the Pharisee want? He wanted to be a follower of God. He wanted to fulfill the commandments to love God, love his neighbor. His whole life was about that. And in an act of kingdom defiance, Jesus declares that this sinful woman, this nobody, this marginal woman who has all kinds of issues, that she had made it. She is a great Lover in the kingdom. That would fill that Pharisee. It would make him feel about this tall. Because he was all about the very thing that Jesus proclaimed. Jesus says, you know what? The lover in the house isn't the one you think. It's this woman. The kingdom of God, the gospel of grace, the scandalous grace. It gives sinners and broken folks identity and dignity. It actually does something in us. The most profound and powerful thing about the kingdom isn't just about bringing people in and say, hey, you know, it's great, we love you, and that's awesome. I mean, that's what bars do, right? That's a bar. And it's a cool bar, you know, like cheers, you know, everybody knows your name. But that isn't the kingdom. The kingdom brings you in and actually does something in you. It transforms you into the image of the Son. Not all at once, not you know, in the first week, not in the first year, or even the first decade. But it gives you dignity. It gives you life. So that the things you dealt with when you were 19 are not the same things you deal with when you're 30. The kingdom of God gives you a new name. It makes you a lover. It transforms you into the image of the Son. And so that is what church is all about. I pray for my church all the time. We have, you know, we're thankful, you know, for all that God does in our lives. But if we are not being transformed into the image of the Son, it is worthless. So my whole life is staked on the reality, on the hope that grace does more than forgive us. Grace gives us the ability to love. But isn't it beautiful? I mean, it's so beautiful to think about. This woman isn't loving out of duty or obligation or because if she doesn't, she goes to hell. She is loving because God has encountered her with scandalous grace. And so love just pours out of her. She she fulfills the commandments. She's a gospel person. She's radically holy, not because she has to be, but because she is. Makes us lovers. Scandalous grace forgives sin. Your sins are forgiven. I, uh, I don't know what her sins were, but they were you know, significant enough to be called a sinner, right? The sinful woman. So, I don't know what your sins are either. I don't know what's going on in your house, in your mind, on your computer, in your relationships. I know that it's not all pretty and pristine. You're the people of God, right? My good friend... Uh, 
who talked about the people of Israel. They were pretty screwed up. I mean, they were messed up. Have you ever read it? They were like, it's, they're so weird. So weird. And yet God, it was the people of God. We're the same. We might not like to admit it, but we're broken and shameful and we do sinful things. And one of the things that the people of God have to decide is if you want to be a kingdom outpost for grace, you have to experience the grace yourself. And this doesn't just mean going to heaven when you die. You know, I'm all, I mean, I'm, I want to go to heaven. Amen. You know, I don't, don't want to go to the other place. That place is scary. But I want heaven on earth. That's what Jesus says. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That isn't a pipe dream. That is Jesus' hope for the church that grace and mercy and transformation would invade our lives and that we would experience scandalous grace, that we would become lovers, that we would grow in compassion, uh, compassion, kindness, quiet strength, self-discipline, love, that we would be people of the gospel ourselves. And the first step to the gospel, to be people who are mature and whole and holy, is to say, I have messed up again. Did it again. Didn't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to ever again. But the things I want to do, I can't. And the things I can't, I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Woe to me, a sinner. The gospel of grace is that God is not done. He's not like, oh my gosh, you did it again! I just forgave you! The cross is so complete, so powerful, so whole. He knows and sees you, everything you've done, everything you will do, and the gospel of grace stares on through the loving eyes of the crucified Christ and says, I am taking my stand with you. And the cross proves it. Every sin, any sin, all sin, forgiven. You do a disservice to the gospel to think, well, my sins, you know, if you only knew. It's like, really? Christ crucified, the God of glory become flesh? We know. You're messed up. So much so, God had to be crucified. And it is not humility to think your sin is special because it's not. God has done the complete and final work. And all you can do is say, thank you. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. But the danger and the warning is for those of you who have hidden pockets of darkness and think that God will not have his way. What does Hebrews say? That those he loves, he disciplines. He will discipline. Because he will force you to take the grace. It's much, much better to take grace on the front end than on the back end, if you know what I mean. Scandalous grace forgives sin. And finally, scandalous grace is all about Jesus. I love this. Who is this who even forgives sins? You know, it is all about Jesus. One of the things that is so helpful for me and something that I I hope is helpful for you 
is that this thing we're doing, following Jesus, being the church, being gospel hope, it actually isn't based upon whether or not we succeed, whether we're faithful or not, whether we can kind of muster up the fever to get people excited to say yes to Jesus. It's actually His story. It's His plan. It's His agenda, His initiative. And He will not fail. What He wants done will be done. His movement on the earth is unstoppable. Principalities and powers are no match for Him. One of the biggest fears or things we do that is horrible theology is we think it's really a fight between darkness and light. No, it is not. Light has won. Darkness has lost. God is glorious. Christ reigns. That is the gospel hope. It is not, well, I don't know, maybe the enemy will win. No, he will not. He's already lost. He might be winning in your life, but not in the kingdom. It's all about Jesus. One of the best things any community can do is lift his name high. You can get a lot of things wrong, but lift his name high, and that love will cover multitudes of sin. Lift his name high. If I were, you know, if, if I could give any word to Mercy Hill what you would do or how you would do it, I would encourage you to be about Jesus. Be single-focused on Him, His agenda, His heart, and His will. And do it with all that's in you. Open up your homes. Open up your pocketbooks. Figure out what it means to be gospel people and do it. Make other churches jealous of the way in which you pursue hard after Jesus. And I know many of you are, but some of you aren't. Some of you are sitting on the sidelines playing a nice game, and you know what? You're going to heaven when you die, and God bless you. But that isn't the point of the story. The point of the story is to be people that have received this grace and now live it for the sake of His great glory and His great so three things, real easy. For those who need it, you can receive it. You can have it again. Whether you're an elder and you're mature, or you're just trying to figure this thing out, you can receive it again. There's never a moment in this life in which God does not want to pour out His grace. His mercy triumphs judgment. Give it. Give it. Don't be afraid to give it. Don't be afraid to open the doors wide. To call out in your relationships, in your neighborhoods, in your church, in your events, that Jesus really is the hope of the world. He's your hope too. And He doesn't care about your sin and your hang-ups or what's going on in your life. He doesn't care your political beliefs, your education background, or what even what you did last night. He just wants to be with you. And that actually is, we're relying on the Spirit, right? The great teacher. That the Spirit, what He's done in us, being merciful and kind and transforming, He can do in others. That it's not special. That's what He does. And so we give it away. We just say, take it, take it, take it. This amazing grace in Jesus. And thirdly, be transformed by it. Grace transforms. Forms. It makes you into the image of the Son. And so you just say yes again, yes again, yes again. You pray for it, you beg for it, you proclaim Jesus high, 
and you allow the grace that begun this great work, that called you out of darkness into light, to keep on transforming you so that one day you will be in your moral image like Jesus. Isn't that what Colossians says? One day we'll be like him in glory. What Paul means is one day you'll be beautiful like him, holy, pure, blameless, full of compassion and kindness, a person who loves well, a person that looks like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for my friends, and uh, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. I thank you for this church. I ask that you would do more than they could ever hope or imagine. Spirit, breathe on them again. Don't forget them. Lord, I pray that they, in two years from now, when they look back at all that you've done, they would just be blown away. I thank you for John and the leadership team. They are faithful workers of the gospel. I'm so thankful for them, their partnership, their friendship. Bless them, we pray. Amen.